Well, welcome, everyone. Glad that you are here. My name is Jason. I'm the lead pastor here at Centennial Road Church, affectionately called Sea Road. Before we get into just our sermon time, I'm, I'm in worship, and I'm being absolutely captivated by the presence of God. And I'm in this room, and I'm seeing, and I'm hearing, and I'm feeling all these things, and I can't help but think that there's a question that many of us are asking right now, and that question is, God, where are you here? Where are you here? In that moment that you're wrestling with, that confusion, that frustration, that financial challenge, that relational breakdown, so here's what we're going to do as we start. I want you to picture whatever it is, and I want you to put it in your hand. And we're going to ask Jesus to move. We're going to ask them to move. We're going to ask them to do what only he can do, build, restore, heal, miracle, whatever it is, that's where we're going to start. Sound good? Super uncomfortable, super weird, super awesome. Let's do this. Okay? Whatever it is, your struggle, your burden, your pain, I want you to put it right in your hand. Maybe, maybe you have to physically do something like take it out of your pocket and put it in your hand. Maybe you got to use some keys and be like, it's, it's that, it's my stuff, it's my people, it's my whatever. Put it in your hand. Put your hand out on your lap, on your wherever you want to do it. Let, let's do this together and let's offer it to Jesus and see what he wants to do right here, right now, today, in this moment. You with me? Let's go. Jesus, all these things in our hand, we give them to you. We give them to you. The brokenness, the, the questions, the uncertainty, the doubt, the confusion, the frustration, whatever it is, Jesus, we give them to you. You are the wonder-working God. We need you to show up. Without you, this doesn't make sense. Whatever's in our hand is overwhelming. Is, it causes us to be undone and it helps us to unravel and, and just confuses the heck out of us. We need you to move. Father, we need you to move more than, than me pontificating anything, more than great music, more than this, that, or the other. We need you. So, Father, right here today in this moment, even if we've given it to you a billion times before, would you heal? Would you restore? Would you make clear the path forward? Would you renew hope in the midst of struggle and pain and chaos? Jesus, you are the wonder-working God. You are the wonder-working God, and we trust you. Mental health restored. Cancer disappearing. Families reunited. The lost returning home and being welcomed with open arms. We trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're in this series called Corrupted, week three. Week three, Corrupted. And we've been looking at what, what does it mean to prioritize the, the well-being, the soul care of ourselves in a contaminated culture. Week one, we looked at a reset moment of reframing what is good, letting God define for us what is good and what we're all about. Then week two, we dug a little bit deeper into this theme of restoration, looking at biblical justice, meaning making it right between God and other people and the responsibility that we have in that. Some rhythms that are associated with justice, the rhythm of confession and forgiveness, the rhythm of silencing the inner critic. How did that go this week? 
the rhythm of understanding that without Jesus, it's not justice. And today, we're going to continue our time together. Would you, would you indulge me for a moment, and would you read out loud with me kind of the verse that is foundational for this series for us? It's from the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. Let's read this together. The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This week is all about loving mercy. I was thinking about the word mercy. My friend James came to mind. James and I, we grew up together. We couldn't have been more opposite from one another. I'm a strapping, handsome, five foot nine, 185 pound gentleman. My friend James is six foot four, 325, larger than life, gentle giant kind of sorts. I've always wondered what the air smells and tastes like up there. I don't know. And we were polar opposites growing up. I was a guy that liked to talk a lot. James was more quiet and sensitive. James had the gift of mercy. James had the gift of mercy. One time we were in college and we actually got into an altercation with one another. A physical fight. And I was thinking, this is the end of Jason right now. Six foot four, 325. And so I did something and it really hurt him. I did something and I really hurt him and I, and I bailed out of that moment and I couldn't believe like I had escaped with my life and then Jesus started to work on me. He said, you got to go make that right. And I'm like, he's going to kill me if I go back. So I grabbed the pizza because the universal language of forgiveness is pizza. You bring it, unless there's pineapple on that pizza. And then, then you're, it's a universal language if you want to escalate that fight and that conflict. I'm just saying so pizza without pineapple is the way to go. I showed up at his dorm room. I expected to be greeted with something else, and I got mercy. I got mercy from my friend who looked at me. He's like, buddy, we were both in the wrong. It is not your fault. I forgive you. What does it mean to love mercy? First of all, what we're going to do is we're going we're to ask these two big questions. We're going to first kind of define what mercy is. And we're going to look at what mercy does, what mercy is, and then what mercy does. If you've got a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 35 through to, and including verses 38, so 35, 36, 37, 38. If you've got a mobile device, you're in luck. You version, tap that thing, get it open on the more button, the events section, you can get our sermon notes, Sea Road Live, right there and follow along with all the different scriptures and points of thought that I'll be making over the next few moments. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. And just a cool side note, if you do not have a Bible, please come see me. After today, I want to gift you with a Bible from Sea Road. It's our gift to you. We believe it is the best and most important thing that you would ever start investing in your life is reading scripture and letting it change you. Verse 35, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers 
into his fields. Now, typically when somebody speaks from this text, you're thinking that there's going to be a call into vocational ministry of some kind, pastors, missionaries. I think every sort of sermon that I've ever been a part of where this text is the foundation for the conversation, that's been the emphasis behind it. But there's more behind that than just a call into ministry of a vocational sorts. We're going to dig deeper. We're going to look at what is mercy. Looking at verses 35 and 36, here's what we know about the life of Jesus in this moment. He had just started his public ministry. He'd given his best, greatest sermon in the moment that's contained, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's contained in three entire chapters in the book of Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Now we're in Matthew 9. So just a few moments after that time frame, people know what he's about. He's on a mission to serve, to love, and care. He's going through all out the known region at that time where he was situated, and he was preaching the good news. He was healing people. He was setting people free from addictions and all sorts of challenges that they were facing in that moment. He was busy. He was full. He had a lot of demands. People would show up. I mean, you and I would show up. If all of a sudden we heard down at Highway Pentecostal Church that God had raised a woman from the dead, we'd show up and be like, my goodness, let me go see. Is this for real? We would show up and we'd be like, my goodness, what is God doing? What is happening in the moment? And so all these things started to happen. These miracles were taking place right before the very eyes of people. And so they couldn't help but get excited. God was doing a new thing. God was moving. He was creating a path forward. He was helping them become unstuck. All of this is happening in the culture. That's what the vibe would have been like. Everybody, you know, just kind of radiating energy, this frenetic energy, like, oh my goodness, what else is going to happen? And so he would go to town after town after town, and more people would show up, and more people would show up, and more people would show up. And instead of being overwhelmed by the need, overwhelmed by the demand, he is moved to one single thing. Anybody remember what that is in verse 36? When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. When he saw the crowds, when he saw the need, when he saw the opportunity, he had compassion. Mercy is one part compassion. Mercy is one part compassion. There's a, there's a, a formula that we're kind of unearthing together. One part is compassion. This willingness to see people the way that they were intended to be seen. To see beyond their circumstances, beyond their struggles, beyond the differences that we might have with them and see them for who they were created to be. Every single human being who has ever lived, is living, or will live in the future is created to be loved by God and loved by other people. That is compassion. And mercy is rooted deeply in compassion. To get the full expression of what mercy looks like, we have to marry compassion with another term and phrase, and that term is availability. If we want to be mercy-filled people, we have to be compassionate individuals who are available to be moved 
available to invest all that we have, whatever's in our hand, the diminishing capacity we feel that we might have or the enlarging capacity that we might have, that's available to us to invest. When we marry compassion and availability, that's when we get mercy. We sang a little bit this morning already that God, we wanted his mercies are new every day, that kind of phraseology there. What it means is that God is always looking at us with a compassionate heart and availability, a willingness to enter into whatever version of mess we happen to be in in the moment. Whether that's a mess that's celebration-oriented or a mess that's critically-oriented or a mess where forgiveness is needed or whatever that is, that is God's heart sent. That's his orientation towards us is always mercy, compassion, and availability. I'm always here whenever you need me. You just have to call on me. So if this is the way that Jesus lived, if this is his, his default operating system, is it the same as yours and mine? I'll be honest, sometimes, confession here, sometimes when I see somebody approaching my house, not right now because I never do this since moving to Brockville, so. <laughs> I pretend I'm not home. Everybody, anybody ever done that? Confession time? All of you? Okay, good. I'm among friends here. Right? Sometimes we don't want to be available. Sometimes we don't want to be available. We're walking down the hall in our school, and it's that one kid. You know the kid I'm talking about. The one kid that nobody else wants to hang out or talk to. The weird one. And then you realize you're just looking in a mirror, and you're like, oh, hey, this, I'm the weird one. Cool. Right? Sometimes we just don't want to be available. We see the need around us, and we're like, mm-mm can't do it. I had too much on my plate. COVID has killed everything. You ain't got nothing on your plate right now. We're available, but we don't want to be. We don't want to invest it. Instead of being available, we choose not to be, and then we choose not to be merciful. Micah 6.8 reminds us that we need to love mercy. We need to love this idea of compassion and availability and be married together with it. I'm not saying we have to kill ourselves for the sake of extending love and compassion. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we need to be in a moment and in a mindset that when God is asking us to do something, that we are willing to follow his lead into the lives of other people. See, when Jesus was pointing out all the crowds and the needs to his disciples, his closest group of friends, what he was hoping to stir, I believe, in their hearts is this willingness to embrace mercy. Because mercy can change everything. I showed up at the dorm room door of my friend with a pizza in hand expecting an awkward conversation and I was greeted with love and mercy. And I can't, I can't help but carry that memory forward all of these years later, more than two decades. And I'm moved by it. And if I'm honest, there are many times that I wish that I would be more like James than I am like Jason. Willing to freely offer and extend mercy, even to somebody who I believe doesn't deserve it. Whoo. 
See, that's when it becomes life-changing. Because if we're honest, you and I don't deserve mercy. We don't deserve compassion. We don't deserve God's availability. But we benefit from it because of who Jesus is. And if it's our mission to love and live like Jesus, then you and I have to be willing to walk in and love mercy. Having compassion on people. Being available for people. So what does mercy do? What does mercy do? Let's look at the other two verses there, verses 37 and 38. Jesus talks and he says, there's these crowds, you have compassion on them. They're like a sheep without a shepherd. And then he says, pray. He says to his, he says to his disciples, pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send more workers into the harvest. Pray. Nine times out of 10, when we notice something mercy oriented, it is an invitation for us to pray. Because sometimes we can't do everything, but we can do something. If we come across an individual who is without a permanent place of residence, it might not be within our power to go ahead and and purchase a residence or rent a residence for that individual. But you know what we can do? We can start with prayer. We start with prayer. We can pray for this person. We can pray for anybody else that comes along our path that we could be moved and stirred to prayer because when we do that, we're asking the wonder-working God to do things that you and I cannot do. See, that's the other side of mercy, understanding that you and I aren't an extension, aren't the primary influencers in change. It's Jesus. And when we allow him to work in us and through us and around us, that's when things actually become better, become restored, become the way that they were intended to be, even when it's very challenging and difficult. What mercy does is mercy commits to praying. And that could be a 30-second prayer. That could be a three-hour prayer. That could be somewhere in between It's just a willingness to pray. So let me ask you this. Let me ask me this. Am I someone who is moved to prayer? When I see a need, when I see a situation, when I see a challenge, what is my first reaction? Is it to go hide and walk away or is it to pray? The first week of this series, we talked about, uh, we were led in some prayer posture activities and exercises that Pastor Desiree walked us through. Maybe we can pull one of those out of our back pocket and use that in that situation. I just find it super interesting that despite all the need, all the challenge, all the things that they were facing, this group of people, Jesus and his friends, everything around them, he calls them to pray. He said, let's pray and ask the Lord of the harvest to send more workers. Usually this is the part of the sermon where, you know, somebody would be like, and that means vocational ministry and missionary and this, that, and the other. But here's the truth. All of us are sent. Every single 
one of us. If we've got a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if he is our Lord and Savior, then when, wherever you are placed, you are sent there by God on a mission. You don't have to go around the world. If Jesus calls you to, please follow him. You don't have to go three provinces over. You can just go across the street into your workplace, into your school, into your family, and be who he's called you to be in that space. See, what I don't think the disciples realized in that moment is they were a partial answer to the prayer that they were praying. And the same thing goes for you and I. Sometimes when we start to pray, we happen to become a partial answer to the prayer that we're already praying. Let me give you an example. Your neighbor might go for emergency surgery. And you know this because they share with you, hey, I'm going for emergency surgery. Or you see the ambulance pull up and take them away. One of the two options, okay? And you see that. You could be moved to prayer. I want to pray for this. I want to pray for this. I want to pray for this when it, rego- when it comes to my neighbor, Lord. But then you might become a partial answer to that prayer. See, here's the scary part. You might be called and invited to actually do something alongside of Jesus. That might be just opening your mouth and saying, hey, I prayed for you. It's good to see you home. That might mean, hey, I made you a meal because I thought you might need some good soup to recover from this surgery. Or that might mean something else. See, the challenge is, and I think the reason why you and I don't pray sometimes is because we don't actually want to get involved. Because if we start praying, then all of a sudden we're going to start changing. And when we start changing, we're going to start loving. And when we start loving, then we're going to have to move to an action, an expression of that love. And we're going to have to get involved. And sometimes we just don't want to. But that's what it means to love mercy. So they're moved to prayer. They're invited to pray. And I can't help but think that every one of them on that day got captivated, got a little piece of God's heart for the world around them to a greater degree. See, when we pray, sometimes we we change. And when we change in that moment, we have to be willing to not harden our heart to what we're experiencing. We have to be willing to entertain the opportunity and the invitation to maybe do or say something that we never thought we ever would so that God can show up and be himself in an incredible way and we get to play a part, a small sliver of a role in that opportunity. Maybe we need to pray, maybe we need to see, maybe we need to hear and be moved by all that we see and hear so that what we do is completely saturated in love to the best of our ability in all ways and at all times. Look, and I get it's hard. It's super hard because when I see certain people, I'm like, "Mm, not gonna love them. I mean, nobody here in Brockville, just Western Canadians, so... Or, you know, that license plate from Quebec. It's like, ooh, just kidding. I love you, Quebecers. 
But if we're honest, we see those things and they trigger us. It might be a person of color and we're like, ah, I can't do it. It might be a woman who's a woman who's preaching and say, ooh, I can't listen. It might be a, a single parent and be like, ooh, they messed up their relationship. And we got all these assumptions and things that just go through our hearts and our brains and our minds and all of it is wrong. Maybe the way we see people in general just has to change. Maybe we need to be exactly like Jesus. And when we look out and we see the crowds, we're moved with compassion. And I get it, it's hard. Historically, there's a nation in our world, Germany being that nation, that did this exceptionally poorly in years gone by. Where they looked at the opportunity in their country, refugees, immigrants, all these individuals that were there, and instead of seeing and being moved by compassion, they were moved to something else. We got an expression of a couple of world wars based on those wrong, incorrect assumptions that people made, that you and I are capable of making the same things. Back in 2018, much of the world was facing a similar challenge. Pre-pandemic, believe it or not, we faced another kind of challenge. It was called the immigration or refugee challenge. We had all these people showing up in a variety of different countries from a variety of different spaces through a variety of different means, and they were wanting to seek asylum or status or, or, or a new opportunity for their lives. And, and, and different parts of the world were being flooded with this great overwhelming need, Canada included. And in those moments, what was interesting is the leadership community in Germany recognized that they had an opportunity to write a different narrative on a world stage for their country than historically had been present. So what they decided to do is what I will call put love, loving mercy in action. And what they did is they got some, some you know, indigenous German folk connecting with these newly immigrated or refugee status individuals, and they just sat them in a room together in pairs, right across from one another. And the, the invitation was just to, to make eye contact with one another for up to four minutes and see what happens. And then they did something really cool. They actually filmed these interactions. It's what a little bit of compassion can do if we allow God to use us. A little bit of mercy can do if we can allow God to use us. If we allow the way that we see people to be the way that God sees people, we can be moved and inspired to participate with what he wants to do in their lives. And every time I watch a piece of that footage, I'm stirred in my heart. I'm stirred because you've got people who enter that space and all sorts of challenges that they faced up until that moment, they bring into that room and into that moment with them. On both sides. I think in particular when I watched that one lady who's wearing her, her hijab and she's just moved and she starts crying. Because she's recognized, she's welcomed, she's invited in that moment. And sometimes that's all we need. 
We need to know that we're not crazy and we're not alone. And sometimes that can happen through the gift of a random stranger sent by God to love people. And sometimes that can be from a familiar individual that we've journeyed life with for three decades. If we are going to love mercy, then we need to be willing to be moved by God towards compassion and availability. So that, so that the love of Jesus can change the lives of the people around us as it changes our own life. The truth is when the disciples were invited to pray for workers of the harvest, they were praying for you and for me. They were praying for you and for me. See, that was a prayer that stood the test of time. Still stands the test of time. You are God's plan to love the people around you. Not anybody else, you. What a privilege that is. But maybe, maybe we've made a little bit of a mistake here or there along the way. It's time to pick ourselves back up. Ask for forgiveness. Try loving mercy again. And see what God will do in you and through you and around you by his power, by his spirit. That, that will make all the difference in the world. So we go to a time of prayer. I'm going to invite anybody who is feeling uh, an invitation from Jesus to not only begin a relationship with him for the very first time, but if you're feeling an invitation to Jesus to kind of take this like firsthand, grab a hold of it and dive in this next upcoming week or so, I'm going to be inviting you to stand just as I pray. And we all pray with our eyes closed. So nobody's going to see you anyway, right? Let's pray. Father, I pray as we have people who are standing, whether it's here in person or online, wherever they might be, who feel a sense of either two things, being drawn to you, Jesus, to begin a relationship with you for the very first time. Father, would you understand, help them to understand and recognize that your love covers over a multitude of wrongdoings, covers over a multitude of sins, will heal our brokenness, will restore all things in the right moment, in the right season, at the right time. Father, their courage to even just declare in front of you their need for you, would you meet them in the middle of that space and remind them that they are not alone and they are worthy of love? Father, for others of us that may be standing or choose to stand in the next few moments, we're feeling a sense of, of just conviction or inspiration or invitation to do an excellent job over this next season of life, wherever you've placed us in our workplace, in our community, in our families, to love really, really exceptionally well, to be ambassadors of mercy, being moved by compassion and availability, to set, that, set down and set aside other priorities that are of lesser value than loving people right where they are. Jesus, would you provide for them everything that they need in the spaces that you've called them to? It is a privilege to know that we've been prayed for. 
by people who have never met us before, asking for workers to be sent into the harvest field so that people could know that you are a good and loving and caring God. We take that mission seriously, Father. As we step out and step into loving and living like Jesus, wherever we've been placed, would you, would you grant us courage to keep going when it gets hard? Would you help us to seek forgiveness when we've had a wrong attitude to different kinds of people? Would you, would you forgive us for when we've been victims of racism, embracing those realities instead of seeing people for who you've created them to be? We just saw them for their color. Would you forgive us for the times that we've made a judgment that isn't from you We've made a value statement about somebody and, and their importance in our world that is completely unbiblical. Would you forgive us for that? And allow us instead to be women and men who carry your mercy forward into every single space that we occupy so that your name becomes the most honored, praised, and worshipped, and well-known, famous name in our region today. Father, I pray that you'd bless us and protect us. The things that you and your spirit are doing, the enemy's going to try and steal and kill and destroy. So would you protect and guard those things? Would you make your face shine upon us, be gracious to us, granting us your favor and your peace in the mission before us? Father, we desperately need you. Without you, life makes no sense. We are humbled by who you are and your willingness to be present with us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.